Well, there was a once there was once a time, and this time is no longer here, but once a time where every man would wear a sports coat or a blazer to church. Men wore their Sunday best, and without their sports coat, they were underdressed for the occasion. The same cannot be said for today, and it's certainly not true for us here. Uh, I don't know the last time I've worn a sports coat or a blazer. In fact, I couldn't even tell you the difference. Um, But like these sports coats that once completed every man's church attire, every Christian, every single one of us here should wear a coat as well. This coat is what I'm calling the Christian's overcoat. And the overcoat that I am calling us to wear is love. As we return to Colossians, we're jumping right in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of this chapter. Here written to the Colossians. And Paul here is writing to them to live the Christian life, giving them instructions for how they are to conduct themselves in a way that is worthy to the Lord. And here he's using imagery of putting on clothes. And before he would put on clothes, he's told us to put off the old clothes. And the old clothes is not a a literal jacket or clothing of any sort, but the old clothes that he's told us to put off is that of sin. Colossians 3, 8 through 10. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So this is the old clothes that we have put off. And in place of the old clothes, we're told to put on this new clothes. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So we, we look different. The new man in Christ has new clothes. And not only does he have new clothes on, but this new clothes changes the way that he relates with his fellow man. Verse 13, we're to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So this new clothes has not just changed us, but it's changed the way we relate to each other. And this brings us to today's text where Paul describes what I'm calling the overcoat of the Christian, that which completes our new look. Listen to how Paul says it. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And so this morning, I want to spend the majority of our time looking at verse 14, I want us to consider what this overcoat is, what love actually is. And then after that, I want us to consider how it is that we're to put on this overcoat of love. And then finally, we'll go to verse 15 and see what this love does. So since we're to put on this overcoat of love, let's first consider what the overcoat of love is. We all have different understandings of what love is, and we have different ways that we actually use the word love as well. Every single one of us, those inside of the church and even those outside of the church, has some idea of what love is, but we are not here to learn from men, and we're not here to insert our own ideas as to what love is and to what 
Paul is calling us to put on. And so to make sure that we have a biblical framework of love, we're going to hear from the scriptures. And the scriptures even have all kinds of ways by which love is used and described. We even have our own ways of describing love. We can love steak, and I can love my wife. I can love my dog, and I can love my kids. And I'm even called to love my enemies who are not lovely. And all at once I am called to love the Lord who is altogether lovely. So if you can't tell, love is a complex word, and English only makes it more complex in the way that we use it so broadly. But one thing can be said about all love, and it's the core of what I want us to see this morning. The thing that we are putting on is this, love as an affection. I want us to see that love is not just simply the things that we do, but it is the affection that motivates all that we do. And so love is far more than a verb. Oftentimes when we think about love, we think of the things that we are to do. After all, God has commanded us to love. Love can be a verb, and it is used oftentimes as a verb. Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So to be sure, love certainly is a verb. It is something that we do, but it's also more than that. If we're to understand what this overcoat is, then we should recognize that love is far more than just the things we do. Love, first and foremost, is what we feel. It's an affection. And this is shown clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. Listen to what Paul said there. He said, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what Paul is describing here are, are good things, even loving things, or so we would think. But from this text, we see that it is possible to do what is loving externally without actually having love as an affection internally. Listen again, if I give all that I have, that's loving, right? After all, when Jesus said, who's the one who loves his neighbor? It's the good Samaritan, the one who gives his goods to to help the one who's in need. So if I give all the way that I have, that, that would be loving. And furthermore, if I even deliver my body to be burned, once again, you'd say that's loving. In fact, Jesus himself said this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friend. So giving away our goods, laying down our life, both loving things. And yet Paul says, if I give it all away, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what's missing here is not the loving actions, but the loving affection. And that's what love is. Love is an affection that we feel. And we all know this to be true. Imagine this. Imagine a husband comes home to bring his wife a bouquet of flowers. And the wife says, well, honey, you didn't have to do that. Why, why did you do that? Imagine the husband, or at least how the wife might respond if the husband were to say, well, wife, I'm your husband. That's what husbands do. And not only that, but your mom called me today and told me that I was supposed to buy you flowers, and so I did it. You can imagine the, the wife might take those flowers and throw them into the garbage. Because it's not about the flowers at all, is it? No, the right response is, I did this because I love you. 
There's affection behind it. The bouquet could be all be dead, but it's about the heart of love. So love at its core is that. It is an affection of the heart. But to help us understand love further, it's helpful to see that love is not even always a virtue. It's possible to love, not to be, that love might not be commended by God. In fact, he might rebuke us for such a thing. We ought to be corrected even for such a thing. Listen to how Paul writes to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, he says, There will be people who are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Listen, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. So you might perceive from this scripture that the heart's affections are certainly at work even in this sinful way. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of the world, not lovers of God. So we should see that, yeah, we have a love problem, but it's not simply that we lack affections. It's not that we just simply lack desires. Our problem is that we have misplaced affections, misplaced and distorted loves. But it's not the distorted love that Paul is calling us to put on. He's telling us to to put on love for one another. So understand this. The genuine overcoat of love is an affection for one another. If you reduce love simply down to our doing, then you will be guilty of being a hypocrite like the scribes or the Pharisees. You know, they did what was loving, didn't they? They gave away their money, but not because they loved those who were in need. They gave away their money because they loved the praise of man. Ananias and Sapphira did the very same thing. They sold their property, what would otherwise have been loving, as they gave away their goods to the church. And yet what they truly loved was their money and their reputation. And so as I call us to love, as we put on love, I think it's worth us recognizing that we ought to be cautious that we are not found acting loving while not actually feeling the affection of love itself. Beware of serving your brothers and sisters apart from a deep-rooted affection for one another. We ought to beware of going through the motions of love without having the actual affections of love. So we need to understand love is far more than what we do, but to be sure, everything that we do is motivated by love, whether it be a right motivation of love or a sinful motivation of love. But when we have the proper affections of love for one another, let's be sure love is the fulfillment of the law. Love will do all that God requires. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in case you're uncomfortable with this word law, as I'm talking about us loving and fulfilling the law, let's understand what Paul is saying here to the Galatians. 
The full context of Galatians is, is this. Paul is trying to say, do not go back to the law. Do not try to carry this heavy yoke that you were not able to bear before. But instead, Paul, he's calling the Galatians, and we ought to all the same be free from the burden, the weight of the law as a, a way to try to earn a righteousness through our own strength. That is not what Paul is saying here as he calls us to love one another. This is not the, the kind of way of using the law to, to, to merit salvation. We should know this, that we are saved by faith and faith alone. And the works of the law, even love itself, does not somehow earn our right standing with the law, of, with the Lord, excuse me. Paul said it this way to the Galatians again, for all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed be anyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So understand, Jesus, he did not die on the cross so that we would begin by faith and then complete our, our salvation through our works. Rather, Jesus died to purchase our salvation that we could never earn on our own. And so he writes again in Galatians 5.1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery that being the law. But, make no mistake about it, we are commanded to do what the law requires. Namely, we are commanded to love one another. Even by Paul, here in Galatians, he is calling them to love one another. Not in a way by which they are to put the, the heavy yoke of the law back on their necks, but understand what Paul is saying here in Galatians 5 as he calls us to fulfill the law by loving one another. He's saying this. Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You might even hear right there, it's not the doing, it's not the serving one another that is love, but through love, you serve one another. It's the motivation that fuels our, our service. And then he says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is what I want us to understand this morning. God, he frees us from the burden of the law, but he does not free us to be lawless. He frees us from the burden of the law, yes, but he also frees us from the bondage of sin. And he frees us from this bondage that we were once in so that the law, namely love, would be fulfilled in us who have been born again because of the work of Jesus on the cross because he has given us his spirit who has now written the law on our hearts. And so through that spirit, through him, we have the power to love one another. Which means this, thirdly, love is the definitive mark of faith. How do people know that you are a disciple of Christ? How do people know that you are a Christian? Not because you read your Bible every morning. People do not know that you are a Christian because you have sound theology. The world does not know that you are a Christian because you attended church this morning. What does the Bible say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then you will have this overcoat of love 
But some might object saying, well, it's just not how God made me. I'm different from other Christians and, and love does not come to me easily nor naturally. When I was young, my poor mom, I wore sweats all the time, everywhere. And I remember one time, around the same time of year, it was around Christmas, it was Christmas Eve, in fact, we were going to church, and my mom said, Josh, do you want to wear something nice today for Christmas? I said, no, I don't. I said it politely, too, I'm pretty sure. To which my mom responded, I think you do. You see, we might similarly object to putting on this coat of love, saying it's just not what I want to wear. But if you object to wearing love, understand you are showing that you are not born again. Love is the definitive mark of every Christian. And to, be, to make sure that I'm not elevating love to a place that it shouldn't be, listen again to how the Bible speaks to these matters. Once again, going to that love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, this time in verse 2. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So Paul calls us this morning to put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. But how is this possible for us to put on love? How is it actually possible for us to have a, a deep-rooted affection for one another? Do we just muscle up and do it? Is it the same way a child who is told to eat his broccoli that has gone cold on his plate, is that the way that we're to love? Just, just put it in your mouth and swallow it? No, not at all. You see, a kid can eat his broccoli because his parent tells him to, but that kid will not delight in that broccoli. And what we are being commanded to do is not simply to serve one another. That's not the command at all. But the command is actually to put on love, to put on affections. We are told not simply to eat the broccoli, so to speak, but we are told to Delight in it as we eat it. So it would be easy for us to love one another if everybody were lovely. But anyone can love those who are lovely. The world does this too. This is not the kind of love that, that marks the believer. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5. If you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So the question remains, how is it that we're actually able to love those who are not lovely? How is it possible for us to actually have affections for that person who gets under your skin? How are you actually supposed to love your husband when he hurts you? And how are we supposed to, to love even our enemy who we might feel anger towards or perhaps even hatred towards? How do we put on these proper affections? 
towards those who are far from lovely. Or to put it another way, how is it that we are to put on this overcoat of love? Here's what I'll suggest to you this morning. We're to put on the overcoat of love by going to the source of love itself. Do you think loving people with a deep-rooted affection who are not lovely is impossible to do? You're right. It is impossible to do. You do, no, you do not have it in you to love them, at least not by yourself. But with God, all things are possible. I love Augustine's prayer. And I think it proves helpful for a command like this. Augustine said, command what you will. Give what you command. So God, tell me whatever you want me to do. And once you tell me to do it, grant me the strength to do what you have commanded. And the Lord, he does this. I want us to see first and foremost, love, it is impossible this Christian love is impossible to do apart from God. Remember, we are in the middle of Colossians, in the middle of chapter 3. Paul, he hasn't launched this letter by telling the Colossians or us what we must do. But rather, he's showing us already, even in this letter, that love is actually a result of faith. Listen, back in chapter 1, he said this. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So notice what happens. When you receive the gospel and your hope is in heaven and you believe in it, love follows. Moreover, we see Paul, he rightly recognizes that the continuing in faith and love is not within the Colossians to do by themselves. In fact, it's not even in Paul to grant this to them. But it comes directly from God. And so back in chapter 1, he prayed for the Colossians. You remember that? He prayed that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and in increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, love is not explicit there, but certainly if love is fully pleasing to God as it truly is, we should be able to understand that we need strength from God if we are going to love one another. So what you shouldn't hear Paul saying is that we're to, to produce this love on our own. Remember, this is a work of God. And we are his workmanship. Jesus said it this way in John 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, we cannot love one another in a way that pleases the Lord. Apart from faith, you cannot please God. And so if we try to love one another without the Lord's help, we will be as successful as Abraham and Sarah were in having a son by themselves without the help of the Lord. You see, just as God created life in the barren womb of Sarah, so too God must produce life, new life and love, affections of love in our sinful hearts if we're to love from a pure heart. 
If we try to love apart from God, we will be like the disciples trying to feed the 5,000 in the wilderness without the help of the Lord. You see, our hearts apart from God are barren. It's a wilderness without any food. But the Lord does the miracle in creating this good fruit in the barren land of our hearts. And so if you are to love, if we are to love with a sincere heart, in a way that pleases God, we must be first united to Christ through faith. And so the question is, this morning, are you abiding in him? Are you drawing from his life-giving sap that produces the fruit of love? The command to put on love, you see, would be impossible for us to do this morning if we did not have access to this overcoat but God has given us this overcoat so that we might put it on. So this is an impossible thing for us to do apart from God, but it is made possible because love comes from God who himself is love. Recall once again how this paragraph started here in Colossians. Paul, he's telling us to put on this clothes. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, and beloved. Notice that? That you're beloved? Notice he's not telling us to love from a place of deficit or a place of need, but rather we are told to love after having already been filled up with the surpassing love of God. We hear it similarly put by John in 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, there's that language again. You're loved by God, beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, God's, because God is love. So do you know God? Do you know his love? If so, then you will love one another. If you know God, then you have the very access to that which Paul is calling us to put on. You have access to this overcoat. And so let us together once again gaze upon Christ crucified so that we might see God's love displayed clearly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the love of God there in giving us his son? And greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And this is exactly what Christ has done for you. He has laid down his life so that we might have life in him. Now, what was the motivator of God's affection towards us? What drove him to the cross? Was it anything lovely in us? Did he see how good we were? Or how strong our faith was? No. Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest love, the love of God, displayed through the death of 
his lovely son was done so that we who were not lovely might be reconciled to God. Oh, that the Lord would give us the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. See, we can only love those who are unlovely because the fountain of God's love was poured out onto us when we ourselves were not lovely. So Jesus, he commands us to do likewise, to love one another as he has loved us. And so since love does not come from us, but comes from him, we ought to ask God to fill us with his love. And he will grant such a request. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the fruit of the Spirit is love. So above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So Lord, command what you will and give what you command which leads us to our final point this morning. We ought to examine our overcoat, examine ourself to see if we are clothed in love. As we previously mentioned, love is the distinctive and definitive mark of every Christian. All people will know that we belong to Christ by our love for one another. But our love is not just for the world to see not just for others to look in at us to judge whether or not we are, in fact, disciples. John says it this way in 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So understand, if you have a love for your brother or sister in Christ, even those who are difficult to love, this is evidence to you that you have passed into life, that you have been saved, that you belong to God. But John, he continues, he says, whoever does not love abides in death. And so we're called to look in the mirror here, to look at ourselves, not to be running through a list of all the people who we think ought to put on love, but we're to put on love ourselves. We're to examine our own self so that we would see whether or not we have this overcoat of love on today. Do you see yourself clothed with the Christian overcoat of love? If so, then you have good reason to be confident that you have passed out of death into life. But if it is missing, then you have good reason to question the genuineness of your faith. Because those who do not love abide in death. So if you lack love, or even if you are loving but struggle in it and need to put on love even now, go to the source where love might be found. That's what Paul's calling us to do. 
Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I want to see what love does now. Love, it binds us together in perfect harmony. Actually, it's more ambiguous than that. He says it binds everything together in perfect harmony. And I like the ambiguity here because I think it might be seen in two different ways. And both are true. I want to consider them one at a time. First, I want us to consider how love binds every Christian virtue together. Love binds every Christian virtue together. And we've seen this already in Colossians 3.12. The virtues that we're to put on is compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These individual qualities that, that mark the believer are also marks of love. love is patient love is kind love doesn't envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things and so if you have on love understand you will have with it compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience Just as well, if you are clothed in love, then the old clothes have been put off. You would have put off sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because these things do not accord with love. And so when you look in the mirror, do you see yourself clothed in the right affections for your brothers and sisters? When others look at your life, do they see this love on you? What would your spouse say? What would your kids say? Kids, what do your parents see in you? What does your fellow Christian see? What does the world see? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. We love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love binds every Christian virtue together for the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, that you love your neighbor. Love binds every Christian virtue together in perfect harmony. And so we could say, 
This really does complete the look of the believer. Without it, he is not ready to go out. Without love, his, his wardrobe is incomplete. But love does more than just binding the, the virtues together in perfect harmony. But look again at verses 14 and 15 now. Above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Love also binds every Christian together. It doesn't just change us individually, but it changes us corporately. Love makes it so that we would be knit together in love, bound together, inseparable because, because we have love for one another. So love is not just merely an inward reality, but love, it transforms the way we relate to one another. And so as we've already seen in verse 12, all those virtues that are put on us change the way we relate to one another. In verse 13, we bear with one another. And if one has a complaint, we forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. So love is the motivator by which we also forgive and bear and link arms. And not only that, but love even motivates us to cast off once again that old man, that old sinful wardrobe that we've been told to, to put off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Such clothes do not go well with love. In fact, such clothes contradict love altogether. It would be like I, if I were wearing slippers and pajama bottoms with a suit jacket. It ruins the look. So too, such activities are incompatible with love. And they do not fit the Christian who ought to be clothed in love. And so, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Whether or not you want to wear a blazer to church is up to you. It is insignificant. But what is of eternal significance is whether or not we believe in Christ. Whether we know him in his love and have been found in him. What is of eternal significance is is whether or not his spirit is in us and is producing in us all the fruit that we ought to see that comes from him. So to each and every one of us, believe on him today. To the Christian, Christ has given you access to this new wardrobe. So do not go about life without putting it on. Put on love. For it is the perfect bond of harmony.
Father, this is an impossible thing for us to do. But you have commanded it so that we might do what is good and right and pleasing to you. So would you pour out your grace, strengthen us by your grace so that we might walk in a manner that is worthy of you. I pray that you would clothe us with the love of Christ so that we might be salt and light in the world, so that the world might look at us and give glory to you in heaven. And Lord, I also pray that you would clothe us in, in your love so that we might be united together, so that we would no longer be at war with each other, but I pray that your, your peace would rule in our hearts. And so, Lord, would you do this here in our midst, in this congregation, do this even in our hearts individually. For our joy and your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Parents, if you have children in the children's ministry at this time,